people in North Korea, they are not, they don't want war. They live under the threat of war pretty much every day. For them, the war is still going on. We consider that the war ended in 1953, but every day for them, it's it's this threat. And yeah, largely that's from their media and their propaganda, but they don't want to live like that. They want to have peace. And I'm talking about the people, not the government. I think we have to separate those two things. Welcome to Grace and 30 on WERALP, Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Malik, and I will be your host for the program tonight. Tonight's guest, Gabe Segoyan, was born in Maui and grew up in California. At age 19, he moved back to Maui to live what he calls the dream surfer life, but he was miserable for six years. Following a series of life-changing events, Gabe found himself in North Korea, of all places, where he was working to bring clean water, heating coal medicine, and even hand-cranked batteries to its people. When he saw some of the waves, he asked about surfing, and the rest, as they say, is history. Gabe has been to North Korea 18 times since that original trip and founded Love North Korea Ministries, a faith-based nonprofit dedicating to helping the people of North Korea improve their lives as well as surf. He recently published a book about his experiences entitled Surfing North Korea and Other Stories from Inside. Gabe joins us to talk about the love he's developed for the people of North Korea, the challenges that Westerners face working in the country, and misconceptions about North Koreans, their government, and its relationship with the U.S. Gabe, welcome to Grace in 30. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. So we talked on the phone. When I think about North Korea, I don't think about surfing. I think about military parades and huge missiles and blacked-out nighttime satellite images and, and just a general dislike of people from the West. What was the reaction you got from people in North Korea when you first asked about surfing and when you try to get people to join you on the beach? Well, the general idea about waves is that they're dangerous, so people generally aren't interested in something like that because they don't have any concept of it. But when we go there and we actually show them that surfing can be fun, riding the waves can be fun, we're able to get local North Korean people actually from the beach onto surfboards and get them surfing and enjoying something completely new to their culture. So you, you went at some point, was it during that very first trip when you saw the waves on a shoreline and said, hey, I got to bring a board the next time and, and then brought a board? Tell me what happened the first time you, you inquired about surfing. Well, I actually saw really good waves in 2011 during a humanitarian aid trip. It was during a typhoon uh, swell, we call it in surfing, where the waves were pretty amazing. And I decided that I really needed to try and go surfing there. I wasn't able to do it on that trip, but it really planted the seed for me to give it a go. And I tried two years in a row to actually go surfing, actually took a, a group of surfers there, and we were unable to, to actually catch waves on both the trips. Um, and it was pretty kind of disheartening, but it turned into uh, a totally different thing than trying to go surfing. Actually, the idea was to bring surfing to the culture there as a way of um, exchanging culture and engaging the people. When you saw the waves and you had this idea, you, I'm sure you brought a board over the next couple of trips, correct? Yeah, I did. Uh, it's just there were no waves. So you can't surf any when there are no waves. So you took a board and then you brought it back home. And, and were you were you based out of the U.S. or South Korea when you were traveling to North Korea? 
I was in South Korea quite often. Uh, my family, my wife is from South Korea, so she's got family there. So we spent quite a bit of time in South Korea. So it's a good place to be able to be nearby North Korea, of course. And we travel through from South Korea through China into North Korea. We're going to return to this. I want to hear some of the stories about people and, and, and how you saw them change when you were uh, surfing with them, because you have a couple of neat stories you shared with me on the phone. But I want to take a moment and talk about um, you know the people of North Korea. I mean, you, you were in there working on some projects for some very basic stuff. You were trying to give them clean drinking water and coal for heat and medicine. I think you mentioned you were hand carrying medicine around. Tell us about the lives of a typical North Korean person and, and the sort of challenges that they face. Well, it's still a pretty tough place for a lot of people. People have to collect fuel for their cooking and heating needs. Um, they have to make sure that their families have enough to eat. Life isn't always easy for a lot of people in North Korea. Um, it's what we kind of would imagine it would be if we've seen anything in the news media or YouTube videos. Um, but they're pretty tough people, so they seem to be able to manage as long as they have some, you know, the basic needs that uh, they need to live. So you wrote or, or said to me, I, I got down in my notes here, you said North Korea is everything you think it is and nothing you think it is. What do you mean by that? Well, we have a perception based on things that we've maybe seen in the media or read books by defectors, and it gives us a picture about the country, and it's, it's very much like what that picture is. But when you travel into the country and you see it for yourself, it's actually nothing like what you think it is at the same time, because the people in North Korea are just like people anywhere. They're just like you and me. They're trying to take care of their families. They're providing for their children and their education and just trying to get by. So they're very much just people. And it's, so it's not like this big group of people that just hates America and wants to destroy us. They're just basically people. And trying to get by. And so it's nothing like what you think it is when you meet them and you engage with them. So are conditions changing for them? I mean, you've been going there a number of years now. Are, are things improving in terms of, you know, them able to get clean water, access to food, things like that, or are things getting worse? Well, the good news is that life in general for the regular North Koreans, I think, has improved a lot, especially since the famine years. I think a lot of people think of North Korea today as if it was during that famine era, which was through the, the mid-90s into the early 2000s. But since then, life has improved for a lot of people. It's not a case where there's mass starvation, though a lot of people, as I said, don't have what we would call enough, and they generally don't have enough food crops because of their area of land is it's a small area. So, yeah, it's uh, it's improving, but it's not to where we would want it to be if if um, we think about standard of living according to what we're used to. When we talked before, you, you told me a couple of stories about sort of watching people change as they simply interacted with you and other people from the West who are either when you're running the camps or doing whatever you're doing. Why don't you share with us a, a couple of stories? I think one story you talked about was uh, you just mentioned simply trading a, a blow-up raft for a surfboard with someone, and, and the man was kind of baffled at, at Americans helping him. He was sort of taught to think differently about Americans all his life. Why don't, why don't you tell us about that? Yeah, so we, we had a group out there, and we're surfing uh, you know, at the beach in North Korea. There's lots of people around. Uh, we go during their holiday season, so we're actually there when there are hundreds of local people on the beach. And these two guys, young guys, came up, and they had this blow-up raft with oars and they wanted to try surfing so a couple of our guys got in the raft and these guys started surfing one of the young men 
we're not sure if they were military. They kind of looked like they might have been a military age. But one of them asked one of our guys where he was from. And my friend said, well, I'm an American. And this, this young North Korean guy, he didn't speak much English, but he understood um, you know, that this guy's an American. And he had this really kind of distressed look on his face. And we need to understand that the North Korean people are educated from a very young age that the concept is that Americans hate them, that we want to destroy them and take over their country. This is all they know. So when this man meets an American, it's, it's quite shocking. Wait a second, what's going on? So he comes back a second time and he asks, asks my friend, where are you from? And my friend said, I'm an American. My friend turned me and said, what's the Korean word for friend? So I told him, he said, I'm American, I'm your friend. And this guy has this baffled, confused look again. He walks away. He continues surfing and we continue, you know, um, enjoying that with him. And I just watch him, and he's struggling in his mind. Like, what, what's going on here? Wait, the Americans hate, hate me. The Americans hate our country, but here they are sharing the sport with me. And, and so I'm watching this. A third time, he walks up to my friend and says, where are you from? And my friend says, I'm an American. I'm your friend. And this man just has to struggle through this. I just, I'm, I'm observing him struggling through this. About 20 minutes later, he brought the surfboard back to my friend and said, with a big smile on his face, Thank you very much. It was really nice to meet you. Uh, and I think that's an, uh, that's got to be a miracle because you're coming against this this ideology, this concept that he's been educated with his whole life and saying, no, that's not the case. That's really cool because it's, uh, I mean, you said it, these people are, are fed, uh, sort of there's a propaganda that they uh, take in all their life, every day, and they take it in. It doesn't take a lot of time to be interacting with someone who's serving them and, and having fun with them for them to start, you know, the light bulb goes off, that there are people out there that care for them and want to serve them and help them. You also mentioned a story about a what, what I call the shell story, where I think one of, one of the guys you were with threw a shell and it hit one of the North Koreans, and they became very offended. And tell us how that played out. Yeah, he was really upset. It was an accident. They were just throwing stuff at each other, and one of our guys, an American guy, accidentally hit the North Korean with a shell, and the North Korean guy got really, really upset about it. But it turned into this time where we could talk about grace and forgiveness. And that's a concept. Those are two things that they don't really know about in a country like North Korea. You're not talking about people who practice grace and forgiveness. And as we're able to share with this young man who's, you know, a highly educated from the capital, young man, about this this idea of grace and extending forgiveness for, for an offense. It was something that he had never really considered before, and actually something he chose to do. He, he chose to walk it out, and how that really set him free from the bitterness and anger against this American man. And it was the whole trip was able to continue on without any problem, because he had he had extended grace and forgiveness to, to this American man. That's a miracle, too, where we see somebody who is educated with their propaganda, their education, change their mind about something like that. So when we talked, I think you mentioned there were, I, I think, 500 international aid workers in North Korea about a year, year and a half ago, half of them from the U.S., correct? That's as far as I understand, yeah. And I, I think, Mary, I was surprised to hear that, because I, I see stories on the news, uh, you know, about some isolated person who was in the war and he, and, and the U.S. forces, and he bailed on the military and been living in Korea, North Korea. And I haven't, I never hear stories about other people who are in there serving, either uh, periodically on trips like you do, or other people who are living there. 
What has happened lately? How has the Trump administration's ban on Americans traveling to North Korea affected the work you're doing and the, the, the work that others are doing to try to get into that country and, and help its citizens? Yeah, it's uh, a kind of an unknown thing that people have been working in North Korea really for the past couple decades, and even Americans living on the ground in North Korea. Part of the reason for that is that we in the community of people who are working in North Korea haven't really been above the radar on what we do. Uh, one of the reasons I wrote a book is because the current ban on Americans traveling into North Korea and the sanctions have really hindered our ability to do the work in North Korea. So it's kind of, I felt like it was time to tell, tell my story. Um, the Trump administration really is preventing us from going into North Korea. It's a travel ban from the U.S. on American citizens traveling to the country. It's not the North Korean government that's hindering us. In fact, they're wide open, and they want humanitarian aid workers to come to their country. But the reality is that humanitarian aid is really being used as a weapon in negotiations. And there are some big problems with that. It's, it violates UN, um, the U.N. sanctions. It violates our own sanctions. It, it violates the Geneva, Geneva Convention. Um, it's, it's a problem because we shouldn't be withholding humanitarian aid. You were in D.C. Uh, two, three weeks ago to talk to the U.N., uh, Correct. Yeah, I, I was able to speak to some U.N. officials actually in New York, and then I was in D.C. in the spring. And so were you encouraged by those meetings? I mean, what did you guys discuss, or are there some things you can't share? Well, we uh, was with a bunch of other nonprofit humanitarian aid workers, and we shared our positions and how the hardening of the U.S. administration's position is really hindering us from doing the work. And we were hopeful that they would listen to us and they would reverse, but it just hasn't seemed to have been the case. They seem to have hardened their positions even more. So you mentioned to me that uh, we're called to be peacemakers, and I, I guess in a sense you feel like we're are we are we falling down in that area with North Korea? Well, I I'm trying my best to be a peacemaker and to do what I'm supposed to do. I never thought that it would be my own government that would hinder me from doing that. I you know we always thought it's you know. Uh, going to be China or North Korea that kicks us out, but <laughs> it turned out to, to not be the case. And that's been kind of a hard pill to swallow. But in the end, you know, we just we really have to trust God that he's got a plan in it all. And it's a time where we can't go into the country and, and do what we, we've done before and we feel called to do. Why don't we just shift gears and talk about, uh, I guess, the abbreviation for your nonprofit is LNKM. Tell us about the work you're doing there, how, how you got started and, and how the work has evolved over the years and, and what you're trying to accomplish now. LNKM stands for Love North Korea Ministries, and it just was a thing that came out of a love that God gave me for the people of North Korea. It's, um, you know, we had to form an organization as a function of doing the work, and we wanted to be able to help in very practical ways. So we started with things like providing medicine and rice and we moved into clean water works. We have a well drilling rig uh, that actually can drill wells down to about 90 meters. So we've been doing that kind of work, providing clean water for people. We provide heating coal in the winter so the people can have um, fuel and not have to go out to the mountainside to collect fuel and use all that time. They can use that time for other things. We've been providing hand crank, no battery lanterns for about uh, seven, eight years now to be able to help with the electricity issues in North Korea. If you look at the map of, of North Korea, the satellite photo of North Korea from the space station, it's like a big black hole there of light. Yep. And, and so we're able to help people with that. It's just really cool to be able to see practical needs met. And when we are able to meet these needs, they actually know that we're Christians doing it and that we're 
ways that that are very very practical. I understand. You know, certainly you can't get too specific in some ways about these stories. But what's it like when you when you go into a, a small town or something and you you drill a well and you bring water to these people or you bring these lanterns? What what's the sort of reaction you get from people? I can tell you a story from the very first well that our crew and these are North Koreans that are our well drilling crew. They had to go up onto this hillside in this village, and our foreign uh, well driller that we had brought in to train them, he was kind of cut off from being in the village. So they were there, and it was their first time to be able to drill the well on their own. And so they're up on this hill, they're drilling, and this grandmother, North Korean grandmother, walks up, and she's got this pack with a, a big bundle of sticks on her back, and she puts it down, and she begins to weep. And these guys are pretty tough dudes. They're kind of construction guys. You know, they smoke and drink and swear. And uh, not not every construction worker, I'm sure, out there does that. But um, they're kind of what you would imagine. And so they asked the, the woman, they said, why are you crying? And she said, I've lived in this village my whole life. I grew up in this village. And we've always had to go to the stream to collect water. And this is the first time ever we're going to have water like this available in the village. So she's crying out of joy. And now these pretty tough North Korean guys, they start crying with her. And because they realize, wow, this job that we're doing is so important. We're providing such a great resource for our people. And so they're crying with this woman. And they told my coworkers this story after they got back to where we have a base yard in North Korea where all of our equipment lives. And they said, we didn't realize how important this job was. We thought it was just, you know, a way to make money, but we're providing this resource for our people. And they were really, really excited about going into the next village. And that's the thing they love to do the most is go in the villages and provide the clean water for the people. That's a that's a great story. You also, the work you do, uh, I noticed on the website, it, you have this 100% promise that you, you promise to use 100% of the funds that you get towards these efforts. Yes, that's correct. You know, there's a lot of organizations out there that there's a huge overhead and not I don't know, you know, the breakdowns for every organization, but there are some where 50% only goes to the cause. And uh, 60-40 is a real common thing. I, I just didn't want to fall into that trap of the donations being the thing that perpetuates the organization. I really wanted to see 100% of the donor dollar go to the cause. And so that's why I, I really committed to that, and to just really trust God for the funds to be able to operate. So we do collect funds for operational expenses. But if someone makes a donation to a cause in North Korea, we've been faithful to make sure 100% goes to that cause. So besides these these really impactful efforts uh, of bringing water and, and lanterns and things like that, you're using sports. It's not just surfing, it's skateboarding and some other things, uh, correct? Yeah, we've been able to do skateboarding in North Korea. It's awesome when we go to a parking lot, we've got skaters and they pull out skateboards and they start skating around this parking lot and showing something that these folks have never seen before. And they'll get kids on the skateboards. We had the bellman from a hotel on a skateboard one time. It's just really cool to see the people just sometimes they just jump in and want to try it. So it's a great way of engagement. We've been able to do snowboarding in North Korea one time in uh, 2017, where I took a group and we brought North Koreans to the ski resort and trained them how to snowboard and just really had a great time using the sports as a tool for engagement. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, you know, people, they can get their mind around, you know, feeding people and bringing water into a village. But this is very important as well. Would you say it's just as important as these other things that you're doing? 
I do. I think that we need to be using any approach that we can to engage North Korea, because if they're open, even a little bit, and they're willing for us to come to their country, us coming there actually helps them open more. And we've seen this happen throughout our time working in North Korea, is that they have become more and more open, even in things simple, as simple as taking photos. We had a lot of restrictions when I first started to go to North Korea on taking photos, but they've become more liberal on the kinds of photos that we can take. And even North Korean people approaching us, wanting to take photos with us, that would never happen six, seven, eight years ago. But today we actually have North Koreans, or at least the last time I was there was the summer of 2017, we had North Koreans approaching us wanting to take selfies, which was a new thing. And I think that's showing that the country is becoming more open, and it's becoming more open because I believe we're going there doing these things. So it's not just you and your people getting to know people in a certain area, a certain beach or whatever. You, you get a sense that it's happening sort of across the country, or what do you think? Yeah, I do think that things are changing in North Korea um, pretty broadly. Now, like I said, there's still a lot of people that have hard lives, but more and more people are having their standard of living improve. And as that happens, they have they have more resources and they're generally happier and able to do other things than just, you know, survive, not not starve to death. And so I think that is taking place broadly across the country. So we've got about five and a half more minutes, and I want to make sure I get to something now so we have sufficient time to cover it. When you and I met over lunch when you were in town, you I, I asked you, what do you want to to leave people with? What do you want? What's the message you want to get across? And you mentioned a few things uh, to me about engagement and, and a couple other things. Why don't you share that with the listeners? What sort of things and thoughts do you want to leave with our listeners? I think that people don't understand that we can engage North Korea. They are open to it. Unfortunately, now, as we talked about, it's not the North Koreans that are blocking that or hindering that for us as Americans. Um, but it, it, uh, it's something that's doable. It's not the most closed country in the world that people really think it is. It's still very closed, but it's becoming more open. So I want people to understand that definitely they can engage North Korea. It's, it's a doable thing. Um, I think in order to see things improve between the U.S. government and North Korea, we have to have an engagement policy. If we have this kind of really hardline policy, it, it doesn't really lead anywhere to, except for to worsening of relationships. And so that's something I'd like to let people know, that if we have a, a policy of engagement, it's going to improve the situation. I think, too, I'd, I'd just like to ask people to pray for the leaders involved the, the South Korean leader, he's really trying to see peace happen on the peninsula between South Korea and North Korea. And so I'd love it if people could pray for Moon Jae-in and that he would have wisdom as to how fast to go and how slow to go if he needs to back off. I'd love people to pray for our President Trump to have wisdom from God to know what it is that he needs to do in order to deal effectively with the situation in the Korean peninsula. And then it might be hard for people, but pray for Kim Jong-un that he would also have wisdom from God to know how to lead his country and to see peace become a reality in Korea. Well, you know, the scripture says, love your enemies, do, do good to those who hurt you, and bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. I mean, it's, uh, so it's, it should be something that's standard, part of the, a Christian's arsenal. What do you want us to know, the listeners to know, about the people in North Korea? I mean, just share some, just your overarching, what's the one thing you want to make sure people walk away with uh, from your experiences? People in North Korea, they are not 
they don't want war. They live under the threat of war pretty much every day. For them, the war is still going on. We consider that the war ended in 1953, but every day for them it's it's this threat. And yeah, largely that's from their media and their propaganda, but they don't want to live like that. They want to have peace. And so I, I hope people out there understand that, that North Korean people, and I'm talking about the people, not the government. I think we have to separate those two things. But North Korean people are just like you and me. They want peace. They want to live in a peaceful situation. And I hope we could pray for them. And I hope that we could see a situation where we are living in peace and that we as Americans can go to North Korea just like we can go to South Korea today and we can have interaction with them and and love them just the way Jesus Christ called us to love everybody. You sort of have issued a call to action there. Is there anything else you'd like to share? I mean, certainly plug your book. Um, is there any way people can get involved? If someone's listening, they want to get involved with your ministry. What can they do? Uh, uh, share some sort of a call for us. Well, sure. You could go to www.surfingnorthkorea.com and link through to Amazon and buy my book. That's a great way to find out more about what we've been able to do in North Korea over the past 10, 11 years. And I think it will have your eyes opened and your mind blown to what's happened and what's taken place through, you know, the stories that I tell in the book. Um, so www.surfingnorthkorea.com. Uh, the book is called Surfing North Korea and Other Stories from Inside. So certainly they can do that. Um, pray for Korea. Pray for the peninsula. I think as far as uh, doing any sort of humanitarian work right now at the current in the current political environment, it's pretty tough for me to issue any call to action to people to support any particular project. We are still supporting food aid inside North Korea for orphans in a particular city. So we, we of course, need, we need financial assistance for that. That really is the only thing that we're able to do in North Korea at the moment. But folks can go to our website, which is lnkministries.org and find out some more information about the humanitarian aid work that we do inside North Korea. I wanted to talk a little bit about how you can be miserable surfing in Maui, but we'll, we'll have to get to that in a subsequent interview. Thank you uh, very much for joining us, Gabe, and for the work you're doing to satisfy the most basic needs of people in, in North Korea, and also to bring them the joy of surfing and boarding, skateboarding. Uh, if listeners want to find out more about Gabe's nonprofit, uh, you can visit him on the web. He mentioned uh, lnkministries.org, and I think you mentioned surfingnorthkorea.org or com? Dot com. Okay. A replay of this program is going to be available along with selected interview highlights. Uh, we'll post it on the graceand30.com website. Uh, the full interview will also be available eventually on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Twitter, Facebook, and the WERA.FM website. This is Ed and Gabe signing off from Grayson 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.